I had this next-door neighbor who grew up in the circus. I was fascinated by what I could see over the fence, and I finally got to meet him when I was working on an art installation on a sideshow, 10-in-1 sideshow performer named Captain Don Leslie. In his backyard, he had this big shop building. It was like a museum of oddball memorabilia. It was really cool. And then he had in his yard some trailers that they hauled around elephants and stuff in. Had circus painting on it. But of all the weird stuff he had, I was kind of fascinated by his collection of paint-by-numbers paintings. I'm sure you probably remember those. You know, you get a kit and it has little plastic containers of paint. You mix the paint and put on the number put it where the number is. They make these kits now. I, I just found out because I just looked it up. But like you can send them like a picture of your dog and they'll turn it into a paint by numbers. I need a painting picture of my dog. I don't think I'll, I think I'll skip the paint by numbers part. And it was interesting. I didn't get it at first. You know, I'm like, why? 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 You, you know, you, are they good? Some of them were good. Some of them weren't. You could tell that some people uh, took liberties and embellished. He had several of the same kit, and they were quite different. You ever watch Bob Ross? Bob Ross is one of my one of my heroes. He's gone now, but you know I, I've watched almost every one of his shows. I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch him. And it bothered me, you know, he has a kind of similar style. He'll put these like large trees in the foreground and it creates depth of field. And uh, I always remember sort of liking the painting before he, before he thrust that stuff in the foreground and created that depth. I liked the kind of background of the painting. And I'm like, oh, don't ruin it. Stop putting stuff in. So, you know, even though he was making the painting, I had some emotional stake in the outcome. But part of what he does that I think is really interesting is that he's got, every once in a while, there would be a show where he would go to a little get-together and people would show their paintings that they made. You know, the, the show was ostensibly designed so that you could get out your, you know, set up your paints beforehand and then follow along. And maybe even, you know, before it was all streaming like it is now, record it and go back and, and take your time or whatever. But he'd have the colors along the bottom of the of the screen and, you know, you could get ready, get your stuff out. And so people would do that and he'd have these uh, and have these little get togethers. And they would show their paintings and it was fascinating how different they all were. And I would imagine that a lot of the people thought they were doing a pretty literal representation. I guess you just can't do a literal representation of anything but yourself. Even when you're being led step by step like Bob Ross or when you're doing a paint by numbers, it's still going to be you whether you're shooting for that or not. So I think that's interesting because, you know, art, no matter how you do it, ends up being a very personalized expression. 
And then my buddy who was collecting the paint by numbers painting was doing kind of what you do with art, which was he was having a conversation across time with a consciousness that was not his own. And I guess more significantly uh, with a consciousness that was just a quote unquote ordinary person. That's why I'm interested in Bob Ross, by the way. I think the paintings stink. <laughs> they sell for a ton of money now, too, which is bizarre. Um, but that wasn't what it was about at all. It wasn't about the paintings being good. It wasn't about them being worth anything. It was about him just saying, hey, you could do a thing. No reason not to. And when I watch him, I'm not trying to learn to paint. I just want to experience his joy of painting, which is like what his show's called, right? I mean, I, I, that's what I want to experience is joy. He is a tranquil, laid-back, positive dude, and I want to soak in some of his presence. Do you know what I'm saying? It was about him. It wasn't about art, which is maybe always what uh, art is about, the, the other person. I love it when he's, he's always got these little animals, squirrels. He's like, would you like to see my little friend? He's a squirrel. He lives here in my pocket. I'm like, oh, man. This is priceless. I guess, you know, what I, what I try to take from him and what I think the lesson of Bob Ross is, is that you can just start doing something. I'm not saying that's what he did. He obviously liked trains to be a painter at different points in his life, and he developed this business, and he was very sort of intentional about making a, a career or a second career, I guess, after he got out of the military, um, out of this, uh, out of his painting thing. But, but what he was inspiring people to do is like just do a thing because you can. It'll take you the same amount of time as to not to. And it might just save you from an empty, meaningless, and boring life. And even though it might be one of the possibilities, I'm not talking about getting good at the thing, by the way. I think we're so hung up on being good at things. You know, we've got this story like, oh, this person toiled away in obscurity. Everyone thought that he was an idiot. And then he became a millionaire and everyone thinks he's great. It's like, well, that's, that's a, I don't know. I understand why that's a compelling story, particularly for Americans. But, but it's just like, you know, the, the, the real way that story works out is a person toiled away in obscurity. Everyone thought he was an idiot. And he was. <laughs> How come we don't tell that story? We should tell that story. Not only tell that story, we should celebrate that story. I'm not talking about somebody being an idiot. I'm just joking around. But like, but like, you know, you don't have to have this giant payout at the end. If that's your thing, if that's what you're chasing, you know, go ahead. Bless you. But if you just want to do a thing, don't let thinking you're not good at it be an impediment to you. Don't let your lack of aptitude or the slow course of your development blunt your enthusiasm for something that you're just doing for fun anyway. I think just in general we're obsessed with competition 
and assessment, and I think that that's crazy. It's a disease that we need to try to stamp out. You know, who was the best 20th century Spanish painter? Was it Picasso? Was it Dali? Was it someone I don't know? It was probably Remedios Vera because she deflated the pretentious and overcompensating machismo of the of the male painters, but people are probably unlikely to recognize that as an art world truth, by and large. Between Picasso and Dali, Dali certainly had a superior sartorial sense. <laughs> Picasso's always rolling around in those rugby shirts and stuff. Dali, you know, was art in motion when he was alive. He was a fascinating character. And he had a, a truly magnificent mustache. You know, it, it seems ridiculous to, to care about which one was better or to subdivide that. Which one sells for more seems to be the thing now, right? There are all kinds of different, um, you know, modes of assessment we go into. Well, you know, Picasso painted Guernica, so that so end of conversation, or or Dali influenced uh, you know generations of of people in popular popular culture and other artists, so that matters. Or you know this stuff only matters, I think, if you uh, are an art critic. Or if you're super rich and you're thinking about, you know, what's the best thing to put your money in. I don't know how many Otis Brown podcast listeners are walking around with Picasso money in their pockets. But I'm guessing it's very few. I say this about guitars when, when we talk about guitars. And, and I don't know that people believe me, but I say the only guitars I want are guitars that I get the opportunity to build. And even though sometimes I, I justify that in terms of economics, that's not really it. I just want to I want to make my art with the thing that I used my art to make. Uh, there's just an incredibly satisfying relationship with all of that stuff. But I also want to tell you again that I don't think it has to be good. I mean, if I build a guitar. It has to be professionally made enough that it's playable, that it plays in tune, that it functions. But, you know, that was by no means a, a reasonable expectation that I started out with, except for that I had a lot of woodworking experience, so I thought I could probably pull it off. So, you know, I'm entering that hobby at a different place than some other hobbies that I might take up for other things. I might want to do them just to do them. I will occasionally get out some paints and paint something. I'm not trying to be a painter. Just want to do it. Or sometimes when my kid was younger, she would paint and I would paint alongside of her just because, you know, whatever, keeping her company, hanging out with her. That was the goal. I don't care what those paintings looked like. What I wanted to do was just stand there next to my kid when she was full of wonder. 
I think that, you know, that one, first of all, we are obsessed with assessment. We learn this A through F grading scale that maybe with some sophistication we turn it into a percentage and then we apply it to our lives. And I think that that's toxic. It's probably toxic as a grading system and learning too, but I'll take that up at another time. Or we think of things in terms of capitalism, in terms of like you've got to get something more out of the thing than you put in it, or it's a waste of time and a waste of money. I don't really know what it means to waste time. I mean, I guess I do. Not trying something I want to do is a waste of time. But if I think of something I want to do, and I go out and I try to do it and it doesn't work out, or maybe I try again later and it works out a little bit, or it doesn't work out but I have fun doing it, how could that be a waste of time? You know, one of the things that Bob Ross always says, always said, I don't know, said or says, he's gone, but, you know, man, he's still around to me. I mean, you know, he's more around to me now than he was when I was a kid because I didn't get it then. Anyway, he, he said there were no mistakes. They were just happy little accidents. And now it's like kind of crazy. You're like, oh yeah, they're happy for you because you can fix them. Good jazz player never plays mistakes. You know, you can just fix those mistakes. You can make them work. But it's like, you know, if you're making a painting just to have the experience of doing it, how could you make a mistake in that either? I mean, you've set some ideal and it's like, you know, 100% and then you're just like, oh, now I'm down to 95. Uh-oh, I think a C is out of my range. I guess that's why I always hated golf, incidentally. <laughs> you know, golf, you start off with the ideal, like here's the score, it's 72 or whatever it's supposed to be. And then you're like, I don't think I'm going to make 72, I'm at 70. I got half the course to still play. Things are not looking good for me. And it was sort of impossible if you cared about the final score, and I recognize you don't have to. It was sort of impossible to recover the day that started off bad, you know. Uh, but again, you got to ask yourself what you're trying to get. What are you doing here? What are you looking for from this? You want a new hobby? Okay. What do you want that hobby to give you? I mean, you know, if, if one of your hobbies is guitar making like mine is, and what you expect from that hobby is that it will yield professional quality instruments that you can perform with for money, well, then you've got a different set of expectations. But that doesn't at all have to be your expectations for all of your stuff, for all of your hobbies you got to feel free to have hobbies that you're bad at and enjoy it. And it's particularly hard, I think, for people who are successful. You know, you're a, you're a surgeon and you, you, know, you pride yourself on your fine motor control and the things you can do with your hands. And then you take a fly tying class and 
And you know, some guy who lives in his camper in the back of the fly shop teaches you how to do it and he's so much better than you are you think you're never going to be able to do it. You make these big blobby messes of feathers that aren't worth anything and you're disappointed in that and you're like, oh well, I'm going to go back to where I have some success. No, maybe you should stick around where you have some failure <laughs> because that might give you some perspective in life. Or maybe you should say, you know, different people have put in their hours in different pursuits and there's different type of intelligence and different type of success that we can uh, use. But even that, I feel like I'm still overly hung up on assessing these things and sort of making them pencil out on some sort of ledger sheet where, where we don't put in more than we get out. I want to also advocate for just doing the thing, even if it might be terrible, and just being okay with that, and maybe even celebrating that, and maybe even just letting it stay out in the world like those paintings that my neighbor would buy. You know, at a certain point in his life when he was was sick and older, my granddad started doing paint-by-numbers paintings. You know, he never, he never did a, an artistic thing in his life that I know of, but maybe he did. I, I don't know, but he started doing these paint-by-numbers paintings. And uh, he would just do them to do them. He would do them, and then he would let them dry, and he would look at them, and he'd put them in the fireplace, which is also a kind of a painter, painterly cliche, actually. I wish he didn't. I wish I could see his small, uh, you know, the small gestures of his uh, humanity expressed in those things. I wish I still had him. But I wish more than that, that he'd have taken his extra paint in those little plastic tubes and just painted something that was in his mind and not worried about it being good or being bad because I know that it would have been him. So I don't know, that's what I'm saying. Your art is a reflection of you even when, or maybe, maybe especially when it's bad. And that's just all right, man. If, if art is about like letting some of your interior parts, your id, your subconscious, whatever kind of language or framework you have for that, if it's about letting some of that out, you know, it's gonna, it's not all good in there. It's not all perfect. It's not all polished and ready to meet the world. But maybe you should release it into the wild anyway. Let it out there. And it'll be you and it'll be worth seeing and sharing. But, you know, if you just want to do it and throw it in the fireplace, that's cool too. Because really, you're the one who should assess your achievements in the things you call your hobbies. And getting hung up on them paying for themselves or getting a grade will cause you to not do them. And I've seen so many people 
as they get older just give up hobbies and interests and their mind narrows and their life narrows and they don't have anything to talk to you about when you talk to them. Hey, what are you doing? Ah, I've been knitting. Really? You any good at it? No. Good. Do a terrible job. The worse you do, the more risks you're taking and the more risks you're taking, the more open you'll be and I think the better your life will be. So go out and do a terrible job. And don't let anybody make you self-conscious about it. That's it. I'm in the advice business now. I know I say that I'm not, but that's advice that I think that you can, can take to heart. And watch Bob Ross too.